Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this June 25th, 2021. Pretty much halfway through the year, folks. We've uh, we survived. It's getting a little weird. <laughs> our, our president is whispering into mics and sounding like a creepy... Uh, you know the you know the cre- creepy horror movie dude. Uh, you know getting ready to unhatch his uh, plan. But hey, we're making it through the year. It ha- it hasn't come to an end yet. But uh, we are grateful to have you with us. Uh, grateful each and every week that you join us on this program. Now, if you are new, uh, and some of you may be, we had a, a a little bit of a spike from our last live recorded program. Um, the last week we uh, we had to. Pop up a, a previous recording, and we appreciate your patience with that. But our last program, live recorded program, was uh, on the uh, page 116 uh, issue. With uh, and I, by the way, in case she listens, Latifa, thank you for correcting me. It's Alatas, not Alatas. I kept saying that wrong, and uh, she was kind enough to respond to me on uh, Facebook. So I know some of you guys are probably new listeners because uh, a lot of you tuned in following that conversation. So if you are new to the Voice of Reason radio podcast, let me just explain. I am Chris Honholtz and my buddy Richard Story, who will be popping on here in just a second. Uh, We are two brothers in Christ that (laughs) after five years of recording this program and two previous years on another program have still not met face to face. (laughs) He lives in Mississippi. I live here in Nevada. And uh, we get on the on the mic every week, and we talk about the things of God. We talk about the Christian life. We talk about, well, whatever issue comes up, and we try to always do two things. We try to honor God first and foremost, and we try to edify the saints. And the way we do that is to point you everybody back to the true voice of reason. In fact, the only voice of reason, which is the Word of God. Our desire is, whether you agree or disagree with us, that you always filter everything you do and think and say through the Word of God, because that is our authority. That is the sole source of authority that we have in our life for Christian practice, for our life, for our, our doctrine. It's all through the Word of God, nothing else but before it. And so that's what we always hope to do each and every week on this program. So if you are new to us, we welcome you and thank you for joining on board. We want to let you know we are part of the Christian podcast community. That is a community of podcasters, which of which... I think, Rich, I think uh, Andrew said at last count was 40-plus podcasts, of which he likes to remind me it's only five, it's not half, <laughs> but he has several on there. Uh, Christian Podcast Community has several, uh, quite a few different podcasts on there, and it is a collection of like-minded brethren. While we may not agree in every issue and area of doctrine, we do have a very set of core beliefs that we stick to and that you have to agree with before you can come on board. So that means that a podcast that submits has to go through a vetting process and has to be discussed and and uh, interview process has to be done. So when you get to be on the Christian podcast community, you've actually had to go through a process that indicates that you're actually a Christian and you hold to sound doctrine. So even if you never find a whole bunch of programs that you like, you'll always find something that you will like and be edified by. So we'd always encourage you to check that out. It's a, it, We are just great, grateful to be a part of that and uh, always want to point you to it. Uh, also want to remind everybody, we have our website, slavetothekeng.com. That is where you can contact us. You have a contact us page there. That is where you will find episodes you will find blog articles, you will find our Patreon link, and you will find uh, the link to our, uh, you know, our 
vo- official Voice of Reason Radio podcast swag. Yeah, that's what I said. I said, yeah, I'm actually wearing one now. Unfortunately, you can't see it. It's, this, is, this is a podcast. But I, it's, uh, they have our Voice of Reason Radio podcast. T-shirts are on that website at doctrineandlife.co. But if you go to slavetoking.com, you can find the link to it there. And uh, if you want to support this program, if you want to get the word out about this program, that is a great way to do it. And they make great shirts. I mean, they, they are not, you know, the cheap tea turtle spring, you know, pr- uh, digital print thing that, you know, it all falls off after one wash. <laughs> it's a good product. So would highly encourage you to do that. Um, but like I said, go to slavestheking.com. You can find our RSS links. You can take the link for this podcast and drop it into whatever uh podcast app of your choice we are actually on quite a few different uh areas now we are on apple Podcasts, we are on google Podcasts, spotify uh iheart radio and i've lost track of all the other ones that i submitted them to um you can even find us on youtube we have a youtube channel just look for voice of reason radio and all except the <laughs> all except the page 116 podcast how interesting uh, that one didn't make it in in the month of June when it was a topic on homosexuality. Gee, Rich, I can't imagine that 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 had to have been coincidence, right? YouTube just wouldn't have blocked only one from being loaded up, would it? Um, so, but we do have a YouTube channel now. You don't see our faces on there yet. Uh, we have recently set up with Zoom, so uh, that. To be able to do that, there's a little bit of a cost involved in that. So we're trying to get all that set up and uh, make that a little bit usable. And maybe one of these days start using that to where we can put videos up. Uh, if anybody knows of inexpensive or like free vi- uh, video editing software, that'd be great because I don't know how to do that yet. And so if you could uh, want to contact us with that information, you can get a hold of us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. And maybe one of these days I can convince Rich to turn on his, uh, his video camera and we can do these as video recordings as well. Um, but we just thank you for being a part of this. Uh, we thank you. If you want to support, like I said, the Patreon link is at slavestothekeng.com. There is a way for you to join on and do that. Um, maybe if we do start doing videos, maybe we can make that part of the Patreon as well. Um, but that'll be uh, whether or not we have the support for that. So anyway, that's all the introductory stuff that I almost always forget every single podcast to do. <laughs> so I wanted to get that out of the way. How are you doing this week, Rich? Rich? As always, brother, better <laughs> as always, better than I deserve. And leaving um, me I hanging and scaring me like that. Don't do that. <laughs> well, tonight we're experiencing a little bit of lag in the audio for some reason. But <laughs> what you were saying about video, just to be clear... I have a face for radio and a voice for the deaf. So, brother, I'll tell you right now, of the two of us, I've had people tell me that they could listen to you for hours speaking. They said you. <laughs> so, the voice for the deaf might well, be on this end. <laughs> the only reason I could think that anyone would want to listen to me speak for hours is that they suffer from insomnia, <laughs> and I have a way of putting them to sleep. Uh, <laughs> all I will say, brother, is that I am grateful because I think you do, where I can be very matter-of-fact, you bring into this, I think, more of a pastoral heart, even though neither of us are pastors. Um, I think you bring into that something that I just can't bring, and I'm grateful for you on here. And I think those that have listened and have told me what they they have said, uh, I think that's I think that's very very true for them as well. So, 
always grateful to have you on here. Let me tell you that. Well, I really, I really wish you hadn't said that because tonight I'm sitting here with a muzzle waiting to slap it on myself because you're probably going to need to be using a mute button and edit about half of what I say out because I have been so enraged by tonight's yeah. topic over the course of the last what week or so. And the more I hear, the more I read, the more infuriated I become. So this might be interesting. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to count, I'm going to count on you to have that ruler and just slap my hand and tell me to shut up. When I start going a little bit too far. Oh, no, that's when it gets entertaining. No, I'll, I'll just let you go. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Let's actually talk about tonight's topic because um, we'll try to keep the, the the normal, you know, chatter, pre-show chatter <laughs> to a minimum tonight. Um, okay, we are a little bit behind on this because I know everybody's probably already talked about it. And so maybe some of you are a little, might even be a little battle-weary from hearing the discussion, but I think it's worth getting into. So unless you were under a rock um, a little over a week ago now, about a week and a half ago, almost two weeks, uh, the SBC had its annual meeting, which means that's when they uh, come together, vote on a bunch of resolutions, make decisions about committees, and elect the SBC, in this particular year, the SBC president. <sighs> We could do an entire show on just what happened. We're not going to do that. But others have. Yeah. Others if have. Interest, <laughs> yeah, you can Google and, and find if you want a basically a day by day, hour by hour account of all the things that it, that transpired during that. During that, there are several several good brothers and sisters mm -hmm. out there that have done those type of episodes. We're focusing on something a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, in fact, if you really want a good, I think tally of what happened go to uh founders ministries podcast sword in the trowel tom askell and jared longshore have tons of information about that and i think they did a fantastic job basically this spc was almost as controversial as the one back in 2019 um when resolution 9 passed but for so many other reasons i mean goodness you had resolution 2 which was submitted which was a condemnation of uh, critical race theory and intersectionality, which was rejected by the committee, but the new resolution too that they wrote, at least this time they wrote their own and didn't claim somebody else's, um, basically tried to sound like uh, a condemnation of theories that are uh, in contradiction to scripture without naming any of them, which is, as Jared Longshore said, the 11th commandment of the SBC being extended now to critical race theory because you leave names out of it when you're in the SBC. You don't want to talk about names because that's not nice. Um, you had an abortion resolution, which was uh, basically a pr the promotion of abolition of abortion instead of incrementalism that the committee did not want to take. And it was the second day when the messengers brought it back up and said, yes, you will. <laughs> and, and, and they reluctantly were forced to bring it to the floor. And actually it passed overwhelmingly, which was praise God for that. Um, you had so many other issues come up. But the chief one, the one we're going to talk about tonight, is the election of the SBC president, which was, in this particular case, Ed Litton, L-I-T-T-O-N. And uh, Rich has already taken a deep breath. I can hear it. Uh, <laughs> but let, let's just, you know, to kind of explain what happened, you had a four-way uh, uh, run for election. You had Al Mohler, who was the, who is the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. You had 
Ed Litton, who we will talk about a little bit tonight, and you had Mike Stone, who was basically the one that if you are familiar with Conservative Baptist Network, if you're familiar with Founders and others, he was the favorite for those individuals, those who saw Pastor Stone as not only a pastor who was dedicated to the Word of God, but had a wonderful vision for the SBC, returning it back to its biblical roots and 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 holding to a conservative biblical theological understanding within the SBC, and that was the that was the uh, individual that so many really had hoped would take the place of J.D. Greer, who has been such a proponent of, of things like critical race theory, intersectionality, uh, you know, and, and so many other issues. And there was one other, and the name escapes me. I apologize to that individual. But when the when the main election occurred, you had four people running. Shockingly, I think to everybody's shock and dismay, was Al Mohler came in third. I mean, it was unbelievable. Everybody really expected him to be the individual that pushed out Mike Stone because he was an establishment guy. He was well-known. He was the president of the seminary, and many people saw him as probably would have maintained the status quo, was not, wouldn't be as controversial, and yet pushed right down to third, didn't even get a chance. And Mike Stone actually won that first round of the election, but according to SBC rules, unless you have like, was it Rich, 51% I think you have to have if you to, to only to fully win it in the first round election. Is that how I understand it correctly? I think it, it's, it's somewhere around that. I don't yeah. remember the percentage right off the top of my head, but right. you're, you're close enough. I mean, it, right. You had to have the, you had to have the vast majority, area. you had to have the vast majority of the votes. And while Mike Stone definitely won that election, he fell short of that number. So that's when you have a runoff and it runs between the two, uh, two, the two highest, which in this case was Ed Litton and Mike Stone. Interestingly, I, I don't know. There's been some speculation as to how that went all went about, but what basically happened is you had a record number of, and if you're not familiar with this, all the people that show up from the various Southern Baptist uh, churches in America that come and to represent at the annual meeting are called messengers, and they are the ones who vote. So you had a whole bunch of people who voted in that first round, but then a bunch left, and maybe because they didn't understand, maybe they thought that uh, Mike won it, therefore it wasn't necessary, or they just... It, because they were new for the first time, there were things that they didn't know. A lot of people left. So when it went into the second round, Mike Stone lost that election by less than 600 votes. I mean, you're talking minuscule amount. You, I think in total, close to 10,000 votes between the two of them, and Mike Stone lost by less than 600. So had those individuals not left, had they remained, what would that have looked like? Well, we can't know. In the providence of God, Ed Linton is now the SBC president, but that's what we want to talk about tonight. You had a very interesting annual meeting where you had a lot of people very concerned about the direction of the SBC. You had the committees standing up there and basically wagging their finger at them, kind of doing a how dare you on some things. Um, to the point where one, in one particular committee, they were like, well, if the people in this, uh, you know, the SBC were as concerned about evangelism as they are critical race theory, we could win the world. It's like, wow, that's pretty brazen. Um, and you had the election of what many people thought 
or many people are characterizing as basically a continuation of the policies and uh, practices of J.D. Greer, maybe even more so. And at best, he's considered a moderate, but, but maybe others actually see him as very much a, a very progressive, liberal-minded individual. Yet by those who have endorsed him and uh, were very much in favor of his election, trying to pa paint Ed Litton as a solid conservative uh, pastor. So that election and, and the person that Ed Litton is, is very important, even for those of us who are not part of the SBC. I, I've said this for a while now, what we see happening in the largest Protestant denomination in America is reflective of the battles that's happening within broader evangelicalism. And if what we see happening here, Rich, I believe is going to have impact for years to come in evangelical churches around the country. Well, first, let's take a look at how the world, since they wanted to make a point that the world is watching. Uh, yeah, that was a just, statement too. Yeah, let's just kind of take a moment and examine what the world has had to say about the election of Ed Litton, because I think a lot of times we tend to forget that when the world is applauding a particular pastor, especially one within the SBC, which is supposed to be the most conservative Christian denomination in existence, let's take a look at the reaction from the world to Ed Litton's election as the new president of the SBC. What do you think? I think we could, we should do that. I, and I think we should talk about some of the things that Ed Litton has said publicly and some of the sermons he's preached and some of the associations he's had, because I think that's going to tell us a lot about uh, the individual that he is. But yeah, let's yeah. let's start with how because I yeah that's that was one other statement when the whole issue about critical race theory was being brought up. What did the, what one of the committee members say? Well, we you know folks, we need to remember the world is watching. Yeah, the world's watching. The world's always watching. Who who's more important than the world? And well, I'd say it's God, and what He thinks and what His Word says I think is a lot more important than what the world thinks. But let's go ahead and talk about that. Let's let's start with what the world saw with the elect election of Ed Litton. Here's one. Here here's one I thought was really interesting. Vox.com. Vox.com. Um, Rich, does that that's 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 the bastion of conservative thinking, right? Oh, absolutely not. And I know you will get to it, but I just wanted to mention there were some rather interesting things put out by the Washington Post and the New York Times mm -hmm. in regards to Ed Litton as well. Absolutely. Yeah, if, if Vox.com is by it, not the bastion of conservatism, okay? And uh, we'll put these these articles in the, uh, the show notes, by the way. Vox.com says... In its article, America's largest of evangelical denomination is at war with itself. Why the Southern Baptist Convention is in turmoil and why you should care. Now, this was an interesting article because the author, uh, Zach Bochamp, interviews an individual by the name of Greg Thornberry. And he describes Mr. Thornberry as kind of this um, Christian scholar, religious scholar, kind of trumps up his uh, his credentials, so to speak. He says he's a prominent scholar of evangelical Christian philosophy and theology. Uh, not an SBC member himself, Thornberry trained at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and taught at Union University, a Baptist school in Tennessee, and is personally familiar with the leading figures in, in the SBC. Now, 
if you take time to read this article, um, Greg Thornberry does not exactly sound like someone that, uh, I don't know, is really a staunch defender of biblical Christian thought. <laughs> um, he actually refers to individuals in the uh, uh, SBC, like Mike Stone, as it being far right or extreme right. He um, paints Ed Litton as a solid conservative, that the only way he w- you could consider him uh, moderate is if you were considering... Uh, you know, Idi Amin, the uh, you know the the um, position of the right, and he has said he he describes a lot of what's going on within the SBC, within the conservative resurgence, as really being about caring about having access to the White House. Um, there's nothing about what he talks about in this interview that would indicate that he believes that there was any concern about biblical fidelity concern about uh, obedience to the word of God or any of those things. So Vox.com interviews an individual who describes Ed Linton as a solid conservative and that people like Al Mohler and Mike Stone were basically far-right extremists who were concerned about having access to the White House. Let me add right here, in a lot of the different, not necessarily these three articles we mentioned, but over the course of the last week, nearly two weeks that we were preparing for this episode, there have been, uh, I wouldn't say all the secular articles, but there's been a vast majority of the articles, and even in the one of the Baptist publications, it wasn't Baptist Press, but it was another one with the name Baptist in it, they attributed everything that's going on within the SBC and in this election. They rolled it back over to politics, mm-hmm. kind of feeding off what you were saying about the White House. They were trying to imply that it basically was Trump supporters versus anti-Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned Russell Moore and that the conservative Baptist Network and Mike Stone and some of these other individuals they were opposing Russell Moore and opposing because of their stance and what they had said in the past about Trump. But that is from, you know, the world looking in, thinking that, okay, whatever happens in American politics, the SBC is reflecting that in what's gone going on within its ranks. But in a small way, they are correct because it still comes down to a battle of biblical views versus everything else. And the comment that this gentleman made calling Mike Stone a far-right extremist, that's not only viewed by the world because of the biblical position Mike Stone takes, but within some within the SBC, they have viewed what's gone on, especially this year with this election. They have basically called it... um, well, they've been, you know, waving their banners saying, yay, we defended, we defeated all these evil Calvinists, Calvinists that were trying to mm-hmm. invade. That We kept all these fundamental Bible-believing people out. You know, we, we defeated all these hardcore conservatives. conservatives. And they, in one of the other articles, they basically worded it that there was a Calvinist conservative invasion tried to take place within the SBC, but the 
true evangelicals defeated it and beat it out because we're the ones that rely on grace and these hardcore fundamentalists, they're all just mean and semi-legalistic. I mean, that's just some of the different views that I've come across reading about within this, other than what I find disturbing is like in this article and then the Washington Post and New York Times article, they've been applauding the election of Ed Litton, basically saying that, you know, he's going to bring in an era of inclusion that women are going to have more freedom that they can take on mm-hmm. more responsibility and pastoral type roles and that you know he he's for embracing racial reconciliation and you know he's paving a way to to mend all this hurt and all this that's gone on i mean on on the surface some of that does sound good but mostly to those that don't understand biblical Christianity because they want to import everything that the world holds to. They want to import that and bring it into the SBC so they can look appealing to the world. And and I think that's exactly it. I mean, you've said it right. Those from the outside looking in, I mean, this article on Vox.com, I mean, everything about Greg Thornberry is indicative of, I mean, this guy obviously was an anti-Trump mindset. He looks at the SBC and he talks about things like the sexual abuse issue, which we've talked about on this show, and talked about how that the SBC, unlike, say, the Presbyterian Church or the Catholic Church, doesn't have a, an organization in the same way where you can have someone come down and tell individual churches what they can and can't do, etc. And, and Thornberry gives lip service to that. But they look at these things and they say, this is all politically motivated. This is Mike Stone and you know the Al Mollers and all and Conservative Baptist Network. They were concerned about these things being made to look bad and, and take away from their political clout. And that's why they wanted to have control. And, and Thornberry is very disdainful of his characterizations of these individuals. And yet speaks glowingly of Ed Litton. You know, so... As you're absolutely correct, there is a there there is within the SBC there was a theological discussion going on. There was a theological debate going on. Yet people were trying to paint this as a political issue. In fact, during the the presidential election in 2020, that's what you had going on with people like Beth Moore leaving because, oh, it's because of all these these pro-Trump people that I just can't believe how, how they treat us within the SBC and they're trying to you know force us out and blah, blah, blah. And so she leaves and then Russ Moore leaves the ERLC to go over to Christianity Today and then um, the leaked letters come out about racism and sexual abuse within uh, the SBC and how the far-right conservatives are trying to to hide this and, and racism is rampant within. It was all being couched as being political. But like you said, Rich, not only do we have people within the conservative Baptist network who were not looking at those issues as political, but they were looking at it's like what is the right and theological ways to address these and how and to get rid of um, the uh, to how to get rid of the ungodly ideologies. But they also were uh, tr- concerned about bringing the the SBC back to its biblical uh, moorings. So with, even though they're the conservative Baptist network and 
guys like Mike Stone and, and others were trying to put this in a theological framework, you had people trying to make it a political one to, I believe, kind of obscure what you know the conservatives were really being being concerned about. But those that were casting their votes, they had, I believe, theological reasonings. As you said, you had people that voted against Mike Stone because they saw him as a Calvinist and a Calvinist invader, a person who was trying to bring in the type of things that uh, they felt were theologically wrong. So it's interesting to watch. Here you have this outside world looking in, couching it in political ideology. You have individuals who were responding to the conservative Baptist network and others, and, and Mike Stone and such, trying to paint it as politically motivated. But there was a theological debate going on, and it's, it's just interesting to me to watch how that is being ignored by people who were endorsing Ed Linton. And they tried to paint him as a conservative and, and, and somebody who was loving and cared about evangelism and cared about the, the Baptist Church, the Southern Baptist Convention. And yet you've got the outside world and those who endorsed him painting this all in a political light. I, I, think, it's, I think there's something that we need to look a little bit closer about Ed Linton himself. And say, is he really this person that everybody is trying to talk glowingly about? Or are there things there to be concerned about? And by the way, from what I understand, Ed Linton is a really nice guy. So we're not, he's not the devil incarnate over here, you know, rubbing his hands and, and twisting his snidely whiplash mustache, going, ha ha, I've got control of the SBC and I can do, I can turn it into a, another, you know, evangelical Lutheran Church of America. We're not saying that. Um, I, from what I understand, he's a really nice guy, probably a halfway decent you know, preacher, uh, although there is one issue I want to bring up about that. But someone who, theologically, I think there are some genuine concerns about. Would you agree, Rich? Oh, absolutely. But just kind of reemphasize the point I wanted to make. I don't care if it's the SBC or John MacArthur himself. When the world is applauding what is coming out of a pastor's mouth when the world is applauding the election of a certain pastor, you need to really stop and examine what is being said and what's going on because the Bible promises those in Christ will be persecuted. It never once mentions anything that the church will be applauded and patted on the back by the world for the things that it said. Mm -hmm. If that was the case, we wouldn't have Fox's Book of Martyrs. We wouldn't have thousands of men and women that have been put to death over the centuries for proclaiming the true gospel and proclaiming biblical truth. When biblical truth is proclaimed and taught according to the Bible, the world will hate that man or hate that church or hate that organization. The fact that there's been so many comments from such worldly sources praising the election of Ed Litton, that should be the first red flag to pop up and make you stop and think and look closer as to what is actually going on. Now, I, I've heard the same things you have. I do not know Ed Litton. I've never talked to him. I've never had any interaction with him. I've read from both sides of the aisle, everyone comments that he's that he's really a really nice man, that you know that they really believe he believes what he teaches, 
and everything else. But no matter how sincere this man may be, there are numerous issues that he is sincerely wrong in regards to. Amen. Amen. So one of the things that came up, Rich, is you did a little bit of research on this, and you found that he was part of something called the Pledge Group. Why don't you explain what that is, and we can talk about our concerns about his association with this particular group. Well, in one of the articles, it mentioned that, you know, he's done, and this was mentioned at the SBC, and according to some sources, this is one of the reasons that he was elected because of his work with racial reconciliation and his good friend, Mr. Is it Mr. Luther? Luther, I, I believe is what it was, yeah. Luther, who is a black man that, that is a pastor in Mobile, Alabama, where Ed Litton is a pastor at, at a different church in Alabama. Mr. Luther is the one that nominated Ed Litton, and, and like I said, he is a black pastor. Um, I have issues with that, but that's a different topic altogether. But in one of the articles, it mentioned Ed Litton's work with racial reconciliation and that he was part of a group called the Pledge Group that had been working with churches in, in, within the Mobile, Alabama area. Well, I don't know why no one else has, had ever stopped to think and ask, okay, what is the Pledge Group? But in the past, in my early years as a Christian, I didn't know any better. And I was part of some quote unquote racial reconciliation groups. I was part of an organization that's called Mission Mississippi. And its primary goal is to bring in churches from across the state, civic leaders, you know, politicians, everyone else, and, you know, work out racial problems between you know the the minorities and whites or whatever label you want to put on a race because of that i kind of understood a little bit about what some of these groups do well after seeing that I, I got to thinking what is the pledge group so i went and started searching well come to find out the pledge group is part of another organization that is called shrink the divide and they have a website shrink the divide dot com and it proved true it's like all the other typical racial reconciliation groups that i've come across except you know this one focuses primarily on religion and different churches different denominations and the more i read and the more i dug into this group the more concerned i became because you know, on the surface, it sounds great. All these different people from all these different backgrounds, all these different communities, you know, political, civic leaders, everything else. We're going to sit down and discuss issues, except with this group, they take it farther. Um, they, and it's on their website. You can open up and read it. They have a class for small groups, which is basically a Bible study. And if, if none of you have ever been part of one of these type of groups, it's not just a bunch of people sitting down discussing these issues. Um, I had, I had a couple of times I was invited to the governor's breakfast in Mississippi with this group. I never went. And for years I kept receiving their correspondence because I just was wanting to read and keep up with what they were doing at, at these meetings members from all these different religions churches and organizations they come together they pray together they discuss biblical issues together 
And in this organization's case, they put a Bible study together. Keep in mind, like I said, this is groups, churches, denominations from all across the board coming together to write a Bible study and discuss things of the Bible. Um, first thing, and I asked Chris this during pre-show, when did, I'm say it for me, Chris, my mouth, my tongue just went dead. <laughs> ecumenical. Ecumenism. Ecumenical. <laughs> ecumenicalism, when did that become a norm among Southern Baptists? Because the Bible clearly states we are not to undertake a spiritual endeavor with false religions, false gods, false churches, and the world. And this is exactly what this group is doing. This is I'm going to read a, some of the more disturbing denominations that are part of this group. And you can open up the link and go read yourself. Um, here's a, it just says Harvest Church. Here's a Christ United Methodist Church. Here is Most Pure Word of Mary Catholic Parish. Um, Three Circle Church Midtown, Bethel AME Church, St. Joseph Catholic Parish, Mobile Catholic Archdiocese, Moffat Road Assembly of God, Little Flower Catholic Church, Apostolic Church of God. Going on a little further, there's one in particular I'm trying to find, Christ Anglican Church, my mouth did another trapeze. The Grove Community Church, another Methodist church. There's several churches listed that are Baptist. It doesn't state whether they are Southern Baptist or not. Walls of Salvation International, True Vine Missionary Baptist, Christ Community Church, Stone Street Missionary Baptist Church, Christ Anglican Church. There's another Methodist church. Here's another missionary church. Um, and I can't remember right off. I'm trying to relocate it. <laughs> One of these was a, it wasn't a church, but it was a ministry. And I thought I had sent you the link, if you can help me out and find it, because that's the one I really wanted to mention the most. Uh, I'm not sure. It depends on which one you're referring to. <laughs> but, I mean, you've got, I mean, one of the big concerns, like you said, the, the apostolic, you've got St. Joseph's Catholic Parish. You've got, there was one that was uh, basically right up there with uh, Bethel in terms of its charismatic, uh, you know, uh, leanings. And, and all of them are listed here on the play, uh, on the vision statement page, their, their Our Values page. This hey, is, brother. Yes. I, I apologize. I found it. It was the Mount Carmel Church Ministry. Ah. And this one, along with several others from that list on if you go to that ch that individual church's website they have bishop this listed reverend this listed quite a few of them have women listed as pastors mm -hmm. bishops reverends that are part of especially the apostolic leaning type churches you know they have women preachers yeah women that have been ordained to be pastors they're listed as some of the pastors of the church a couple of them had women listed as elders of the church yeah but the most disturbing of all was that one that i just named because i went to their facebook page and did a little more looking 
not only are they endorsing this type of thing, they believe that people can actually raise the dead and they believe in laying hands on and healing individuals. And it just kind of goes downhill from there. We're talking the super uber charismatic type beliefs that you normally would see coming out of a place like Bethel Redding and some of these other supposedly churches. But you might say, well, what's the big deal? He's just sitting around talking with them. No, Ed Litton is considered one of the leaders of this organization. He contributed to the Bible study that they have available on, on their website, along with some of the individuals from these false churches contributed to that Bible study. So if that's not a spiritual endeavor, I don't know what is. When you're studying the Bible and putting out a Bible study by these organizations that, by definition, adhere to things that are contradictory to what Southern Baptists believe and are contradictory to biblical truth, what else can it be but partnering with demons to write Bible studies? I mean... I don't know when the SBC went off this charismatic. Yeah. The train went off the rail, but I don't know if people are not aware of these groups and, and what's going on within this organization. Russell Moore on obviously knows because he has spoke at one of their events back in 2019. He was their guest primary speaker. And reading some other things, he and Ed Litton have been involved with this organization for quite some time. So you can't tell me somebody within the SBC was not aware that Ed Litton was partnering with all of these false churches and false religions. Well, and, and the, let's just make sure that folks understand the whole shrink the divide thing is its entire basis is the whole concept of racial reconciliation. This idea that there is ongoing systemic racism in our nation and you have a multi-ecumenical um, congregational group of people coming together ostensibly to enable, as they say, enabling reconciliation through genuine relationships with Christ and one another. You have people in here who are heretical in their beliefs. You have Catholic churches. You have uber-charismatic to the point of believing they are capable of raising the dead. Uh, you have people like the uh, United Methodist Church, which basically denies that Scripture is inspired and basically says we open it up to whatever, whatever you believe, we won't judge you. And all of this is supposed to be about you know enabling reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Well, you can't do that with people who don't actually believe in the biblical Jesus. You know, so what they are doing is creating Bible studies, small groups, annual gatherings, all about this Christian unity and racial reconciliation. Well, we cannot be unified with people who are not genuinely Christians. And yet, Ed Linton is not just somebody who attended one on one occasion. It says he is part of their steering team. And according to their uh, Who We Are page, the pledge group is led by a steering team of church and lay leaders from across ethnic and de denominational lines. So he is considered part of the steering team, the folks who actually run and lead this. 
he is partnering with people from various groups to lead a basically critical race theory driven ecumenical racial or racial reconciliation think tank this is this is not the mark of someone who is conservative who is biblical this is the mark of someone who is and let's just call this what this is we've been saying this for a long time the SBC as an entity has been plagued by pragmatism for decades. Pragmatism is whatever gets bodies in the seats, hands in the air, cards signed, people walking the aisles. This is pragmatism. Ed Linton has become part of a group that is promising racial reconciliation through Jesus Christ, but they are partnering with people who do not believe Scripture is God's Word. You can't partner with people. You said it rightly, Rich. You cannot partner with people who are not Christians. This is not a biblical response to what is uh, what is being said is a problem. We're saying, well, racism's a problem. This is not how you deal with it. Hey, brother. Yes. I will backtrack just a moment because I can hear I can hear somebody screaming as they listen. <laughs> um, you said Christians cannot partner with non Christians. Well, the, the 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 key key thing I want people to understand is not that he's partnering with non Christians. He is partnering with heretical churches and denominations Thank that, you. like you said, deny the sufficiency of Scripture. They deny the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They deny the Trinity. They deny the core doctrines of Southern Baptists. They deny the core doctrines of Protestants, Protestants because he is partnering with Catholics. Yeah. It's not that he's, like you said, it's not that he's having a meeting with these people and just chit-chatting over issues. They are actively engaging in biblical Bible, or not biblical, but they are engaging in Bible studies. That one study for small groups, it is a Bible study, but their applications of Scripture are so far off base that I'm not sure a gymnast could twist them back into the proper context mm -hmm. of Scripture. Granted, you know, there's only one meaning of a passage, and there's many different applications of a passage, but they don't even come close to getting half of the applications, even in the right context. Yeah. Um, we could do an entire show picking apart this Bible study, mm -hmm. but um, the link will be provided, and you can, if someone's interested, they can go and read it for themselves. Um, for someone that's not truly saved, for someone that's not discerning, for someone that doesn't know any better, on the surface, this sounds great. It reads great. But the key point is he is endeavoring in a spiritual endeavor. Oh, excuse me, my, I just think that. But <laughs> he is partnering in a spiritual endeavor with non-Christian believers. He is doing this with heretical churches, putting out and providing a Bible study. Exactly. That goes against what Scripture teaches us to do, period. Exactly. And that's that again, we're not trying to pick on the guy. I get some people might look at this and well that's one issue. Okay, you know, maybe maybe it's questionable whether he should be part of that. Well, let's let's take up another issue. Right at the time that he was elected, 
We'll go to another issue. Robert Downen of the Houston Chronicle, who was covering this election, he was putting out uh, posts on Twitter regarding Linton and his election. And he's putting out things that Linton says and believes, giving various statements that he, he himself was putting out. So he was hashtagging this. He was putting all these things up so people knew who Lytton was, what he believes, and what he has said. And one of the things that he says is regarding, he says uh, on the tweet here, on ordination of women. Did you catch that? Ordination of women. In other words, ordaining women to be pastors and elders. Robert Downen writes, Lytton says associational approach might be the best first step, but adds... The Baptist faith and message does not address ordination, and we're going to try to keep the debate over it within those boundaries as much as we can. So, instead of saying ordination of women is an unbiblical position, because people need to understand, Lytton has been, you know, has been platformed during this election as a complementarian. If you don't understand the word, complementarian basically means that men and women have complementary roles that God has ordained in Scripture. So, for example, men are ordained to the role of pastor-elder. Okay, Women are not. Women had other functions within the church. They certainly can teach other women. They can teach children. They, can, they have teaching capabilities, but the role of leadership in the church, teaching over men and women, mixed congregation, that is reserved for men because there is a theological reason for that, which we can get into and we have gotten into on, at other times. But that's a complementarian position. Yet, Lytton says an associational approach might be the best first step. And that the Baptist faith and message doesn't address it, so we're going to keep the debate within the boundaries as much as... What debate? There is no debate. Scripture is clear on this. You can't have a debate other than to say, you want ordination, the Bible says no. And then he he goes on to say, Linton adds he doesn't think the Baptist faith and message needs to be tweaked, but says there needs to be room in the debate for a less narrow or less narrow conceptions of complementarianism. So again, he was platformed in this election as a complementarian, which some people pointed out he himself has evidenced weakness on because he and his own wife from the pulpit were giving a as they described it, not this is what not I well, not, I'm not calling it this. They, he and his wife called it a sermon. And they were preaching to a mixed congregation. Now, it looked a little bit more like a Bible study kind of scenario. So we're not going to say that they were up there preaching like, you know, with super mega authority and pounding the pulpit kind of thing. But they were preaching and calling it a sermon. So he himself... Hey, brother. Uh, one sec. So he himself has said he's a complementarian, but yet he's up there with his wife. And he's saying they need to have a less narrow view of complementarianism. Go ahead, Rich. I just want to point out where we're at that one problem with being associated with a group such as he is, and he's been involved with this for a number of years, what they teach and believe will influence what he thinks and believes Mm -hmm. and teaches. Um, His view on women holding the position of pastor, having his wife co um, preach a sermon with him, pointing out, you know, a lot of these churches that he's 
associated with in this group believe that women can be pastors and have them named as bishop, reverend, and elders. There was something that occurred during the convention that kind of blew up on the internet was the, the church, his church's websites, the wording about the Trinity. Um, after reading through mm-hmm. his associations with these churches in this group, honestly, I do not think it was a typo. I don't think it was an error. I think it was worded as it was on purpose because of an influence by all of these heretical churches. And I know several have posted in, during the course of this that the, the wording was changed during the convention to reflect a more biblical perspective on the Trinity, where previously it was very, very, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but it was incorrect, needless to say. It was definitely it heretical. Was it, it actually yeah, referred, it to, all, it referred to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three parts of God. The original okay, wording is three parts. I'm, but correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that the way some of these churches that he's involved with, like the Methodists, isn't that how they word it on their church website? I couldn't speak for these particular churches uh, that were on that list. What I can say is that is a heretical perspective because it says that they comprise parts of God as ra- rather than the three persons of God. You know, or, or, I think I just may said that really poorly, is... Each one is a person. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Each is a person, yet all one God. That is historical Trinitarianism. When you break that down and say they comprise a part of God, rather than three persons, yet one God, you have have broken down the very character of God because God, in his simplicity, is not made up of parts. Parts would mean that you have to uh, have something be dependent upon something else. It's not in and of itself sufficient. That is That utterly destroys the simplicity of God. And yet, a major theological premise was posted on his website heretically, and you're going to have churches that would go, yeah, I see no problem with that. That's what ecumenicalism does. It, it, it destroys the ability of us to be able to say... These are distinctive necessities of Scripture, of what we believe in God. And you're right. His partnering with other churches and in, in these ecumenical uh, partnerships, you're going you're gonna to be careful to, and this is my how I would look at it, and I think others would agree, you're going to be careful about how you word things because you don't want to take too strong a stance because you might, you might offend some of the, these ecumenical partnerships. So putting up something like parts of God would be less offensive to those who aren't very strong on, on believing Scripture and really don't like the idea of uh, the strong view of Trinitarianism. And so having that up there, well, that's less offensive. But here's the problem. When it's he gets elected and people start looking at his website to learn about him and they see this, Ed Linton's church, within hours, has that changed to define it as Three persons, yet one God. A the a massive change in wording, and a massive change in a theological stance. Most churches would have say have to say if we're going to have a massive change in our what we believe page, 
the church needs to come together and make sure we're all on board with this. We recognize that we've said something that's incorrect. We're going to publicly state something about it, and then we're going to make a public change. We're not going to sneak in, change it, and act like nothing happened, and then blame the IT guy when we get called out, which is exactly what they did. All right. One thing real fast. For anyone that wants to accuse us of being nitpicking when it comes to Ed Litton, it's not a matter of two or three issues that he may have misspoke or missaid something because you and I can do that here on this show constantly, you know, because the way it flows, this is a pattern. This is over the years. This is a man who has been a pastor of the same church for 25 years. If he is not looking at the church's website and checking what his quote unquote IT guy is putting on there, he is not being responsible as a pastor mm -hmm. of that church to begin with, because a pastor of the church is not only responsible for <laughs> what he teaches his congregation, he's responsible for what is being represented, represented online by his church. Exactly. So in that, in that area alone, I find a lack of maturity, especially for a man that has been a pastor for 25 years. He should know better. Uh, much less all this other stuff that we have discussed. And I know that within the SBC, the whole complementarian versus egalitarian, you know, that's a raging debate in of itself. Mm -hmm. If even putting that aside and putting some of these other things aside, you still have to look at who he is associating with, who he is taking spiritual partnerships with that alone by itself, in my opinion, should have prevented him from even being considered as president of the SBC. If he has no more spiritual discernment than to partner with heretical churches, this man does not need to be lead leading the Southern Baptist convention. And for future reference, to our brothers that are listening to this, that attend the SBC every two years when it meets, there needs to be resolutions brought forward that limits this type of thing mm -hmm. that are clearly defined. SBC churches should not be taking partnership with Catholics or Methodists in spiritual endeavors. We should not be allowing charismatic churches to join the SBC. There should be some definitive things in the SBC guidelines that prevents the world, that prevents all these worldly ideologies from even getting into the SBC to begin with. Absolutely. And again, let's revisit why we're talking about these issues. Ed Litton is positioned as being a biblical conservative. Those that uh, positioned him and put him up there to be elected as SBC president have consistently claimed he is not leftist, he's not progressive, he's not any of these things. He's a conservative. People who were thrilled with his election refer to him as a conservative. Yet, you have someone who is in direct partnership with heretical religious systems. You have someone who has even though the Baptist faith and message prevents women from being ordained, trying to give wiggle room to that by saying, eh, there might be ways to discuss and debate it, and we should let be allow for less narrow conceptions of complementarianism, who has from his own pulpit with his wife preached sermons, 
And now here we are talking about um, a, this this additional issue where he is uh, secretively changing a massive theological matter on his website because it's been called out. This is a pattern of behavior. This is a pattern that does not speak to somebody being a conservative. Okay, and let's take it one more step. Prior to all of this, with regard to the election, people like Pastor Gabe Hughes, who uh, is under Pastor Tom Buck at a church in Texas, he is one of the uh, associate pastors there, was pointing things out about Ed Linton and brought him back up again today because Ed Linton preached a sermon on the Book of Romans where he, well, let's just put it this way. It sounded like initially he was simply echoing J.D. Greer when J.D. Greer had said, well, the Bible seems to whisper about sexual sins, but it speaks loudly about hypocrisy, religious, uh, you know, uh, religious hypocrisy and greed, etc. Well, somebody went and did a little legwork. Somebody went and pulled that sermon and put it neck and neck with J.D. Greer's sermon. They are nearly identical. Not similar. Nearly identical. Now, that speaks to one of a few possibilities. J.D. Greer preached a sermon that Ed Linton found very compelling and decided to, to use that material. But it doesn't appear he gave J.D. Greer any attribution. That's concerning. And that is, and that is called? That's called plagiarism. Okay, and so that, that is also called. It's called sin. <laughs> it's stealing. It's called lying. Lying. Stealing, yeah. yeah. So that's one one possibility. The other possibility, and I honestly think this to me is the more likely candidate. I remember Wretched Radio years ago did a fantastic job exposing this. You had back to back. You had two pastors who did did this sermon, and they were talking about their their own personal experience in VBS when they were kids, and it was word for word identical. And we figured out what it was. They figured out what it was. And these guys were forced to admit it when they got caught, which was they went to, I think it was something called sermons.com or sermons. not sermon audio, but like a website where you can go and buy prepackaged sermon. Yes. I have almost come across that. Yeah. And I I, have, go ahead. ahead. We're talking over (laughs) each other. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I have actually come across that website and they have a monthly subscription to where you can download sermons. Um, the way it reads, it's supposed to be a guideline for mm-hmm. like, if you're having a, had a really, really busy week and you need to put a sermon together quickly that you can use these as a guide, mm-hmm. but it, it, it reads more like a, a website for college students to go and, and pull term papers Mm-hmm. that each of them can use and, and swap around. I mean, that's basically right. all it is, is if you want to plagiarize and, and pass it off as your own sermon, you can. And that's, I honestly believe, this is my, I have no evidence of this, so I know people are going to say, well, you're just, you're just, uh, you know, casting aspersions or whatever. You have two men, and I, I'm going to put the YouTube link to this in here, who spoke almost word for word the exact same sermon. And shockingly, not shockingly. Shockingly, um, both of them are, one is a former SBC president, one is the current SBC president. 
neither of which are saying, hey, uh, you know, I, in, in preparation for this study, I came across this material, and I think this really speaks to this issue. So here's what I want you to understand from the material I pulled. Neither of them are saying this. Both of them are saying this sermon almost word for word without any attribution at all. I don't know if one pulled it from the other, if they shared it, or if they got it from sermons.com. But what you have is now the pre the now president of the SBC who is clearly not doing his own sermon prep work. How is that someone who is a biblical, conservative, complementarian pastor? Somebody who is not doing his own sermon prep work. Now let me let me make something clear. I have zero doubt that it is very hard for pastors to prepare for a weekly sermon. It is not just the sermon prep. It is not just the board meetings. It is not just the day-to-day -day running of the church. It's the counseling sessions. It's the, the emergency call-outs. It's you know, uh, you know, people you know, in need. All of these issues that draw you away. This is not a Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 job. The role of pastor is all-encompassing. And so the idea that a pastor would have difficulty being prepared every week, I know some brothers who are pastors and I know how hard they work. But I also know how hard they work. They do the work. They didn't pull a sermon from somebody else and preach it as their own. And they didn't, especially didn't pull a sermon where you say the most audaciously ridiculous statement you can, which is the Bible whispers about sexual sin. That, and when you watch this video, if we had time, I'd play it for you. When you watch this video, I encourage you to do so. Both Ed Litton and J.D. Greer saying almost the exact same words talk about how, well, homosexuality is not the unforgivable sin. And you know how I know that? Well, because being straight is not what sends you to heaven. Nobody who has ever held a biblical position on human sexuality has ever claimed being straight sends you to heaven. That is a ludicrous, ridiculous statement. Yet, the purpose of that whole sermon section is to kind of tamp down on the idea that we really shouldn't be speaking so harshly about people who are homosexual, really we should be like Jesus and speak harshly to religious hypocrites. And I'm not stretching the truth on this. Listen to it for yourself. In fact, that when, when, this, when this whole thing came to a head originally, when J.D. Greer preached this, he made a statement that blew everybody's lid, which was, we should be the fiercest advocates for equality for people who uh, and, and fairness in the law who are homosexual and, and, the, and these issues. We, sh we should be their staunchest allies kind of thing. That's what he preached. Ed Linton is preaching a sermon almost identical to it. How is that a biblical conservative? Well, the, the, just one thing. The Bible makes it extremely clear. Yes, you, I know there are people who like to say that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of their lack of charity and, and stuff like that. But they were also destroyed because of their sexual uh, immorality. 
more than one sin was going on. The one that was being described in the Old Testament is very clear. The Bible also speaks repeatedly when Paul says things like, do you not know that the sexually immoral, the effeminate, the homosexual, the liar, the thief, the adulterer will not have their part in the kingdom of heaven? Guess what? Every time he says that, sexual immorality, homosexuality is part of it. Romans chapter 1, God calls it an abomination. We just talked about this two episodes ago. The Bible doesn't whisper, yet Ed Litton echoing, even if I want to be the most charitable I can, echoing J.D. Greer. How do you get the Bible whispers about sexual immorality? That Ed Linton is speaking something that's simply untrue. And he is now leading the SBC. Go ahead, Rich. I'm sorry. I was just going to point out, the Bible never whispers about sin, but Satan does constantly. We need to remember that. I, I absolutely there's no sin. There's no sin the Bible whispers about. The Bible boldly proclaims and declares and defines sin of all types. Christ even went so far as to say that if you look with lust, you've committed adultery in the heart. So it's not a matter of just the Bible whispering. It doesn't whisper. It declares equivocally that this is a sin. No Christian, no one that truly knows Christ is going to make a practice of this, period. But everything else aside, as we close out, I would like to address one thing. Why does someone, a man like Ed Litton, getting elected to the SBC, why does it matter mm -hmm. whether he's solid in his theology or not? And I'll, I'll break this down real fast, and, and I'll give you those closing thoughts. As president of the SBC, he has the authority and power to nominate individuals to certain boards and to certain committees. There's already insinuations out there and floating and more and more evidence becoming present that the NAMB, the North American Missions Board, are trying to weed out solid Bible-believing pastors of churches and opting for more liberalistic views, progressive views, or worldly views, since they don't think that they're being liberal or progressive. There was a report that I read. Well, it wasn't a report. It was a statement by someone that is rather high profile that supports Ed Litton, that was applauding that the NAMB paid for individuals to travel to Nashville to vote for Ed Litton. Now, I do not have proof of that yet, and I will be searching. But I just want to put it out there that if that is true, that indicates a terrible shift, a terrible direction that the SBC will be heading in under Ed Litton. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, and I would add this with regard to why this matters. You have several issues going on. Number one, the SBC itself has been plagued by pragmatism for decades. You have churches like Saddleback, and at least at one point, I don't know if he is anymore, Stephen Furtick, I know he was, I don't know if he still is. I, I've heard mixed on that one. I, I think he may no longer be. But you had churches like this, mega churches, that in no way, shape, or form, preaching biblical truth, pragmatic to the core, are considered SBC. And you have in Saddleback 
three the first three women in their church ordained as pastors as part of the SBC that's Baptist faith and message says they can't do that yet they've been high profile churches and remained untouched in these things why pragmatism money 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 you had Beth Moore who violated the Baptist faith and message regularly by preaching to mixed congregations. You had, you've had the induction of, and I'm sorry, there are people, Al Mohler was dead wrong, and I think he knows he was dead wrong, saying that there's no liberal drift in the, in the SBC, which is simply patently untrue. When did he say that? It was, uh, it was a few months back. I think it was during an interview, and he had said, look, there's no liberal drift in the SBC. And I, I'll have to go look that one up. Uh, but there are people trying to claim, pastors and people like Al Mohler, trying to claim there's no liberal drift. Well, you don't have to, if you define liberal drift as we are fully endorsing the most extreme leftist position, sure, you can make that claim. But all you have to do is release the moorings from the sound biblical truth and the sufficiency and authority of Scripture and let something drift. You don't have to, to turn on the motor at full bore and go left. You just have to unhook the sails and let yourself be taken by the current. And that's drift. And that's what's happening. You have people who are standing on the stage at the SBC annual meeting saying, oh, I, if, if you all were so concerned about evangelism as, as much as you are CRT and intersectionality, we could win the world. And basically saying, shut up about CRT. But yet, just two years prior, had passed a resolution saying it was a useful analytical tool. And then you have people trying to say, well, you know, you're trying to paint CRT as this worldview issue. And that, and that's not what it is. The people who created it say it's like a, it's an analytical tool. That's a lie. Because the people who created it say it's a worldview. It's an unquestionable worldview. And you have people bringing it in. You have people teaching it in your seminaries. And you have people parting ways with the SBC when the seminaries go, you know what, we're not going to allow that to be taught anymore. I'll have, add this real quick. Dwight McKissick, I, I sent you a copy mm, of the tweet, mm -hmm. basically said that the only reason he is not leaving the SBC now is because Ed Litton was elected president. And, and for those of you who are not familiar with Dwight McKissick, he is about as far left a Christian as you could possibly go that endorses embraces and wraps up with crt and that type of rhetoric mm -hmm. and does endorse women preaching does endorse charismatics that by most ways that you look at it he's a charismatic himself exactly and that's somebody saying hey i, I endorsed the guy that got elected of course there's a drift that the point of a drift is it's it's moving in that direction. It's not turned the motors on full bore and is speedboating its way to the rocky shores. It's drifting that direction. So to deny the drift is there. Look, common sense and uh, you know and and a an, uh, modicum of biblical study will show you that if you don't stay tied to the the, the se uh, secure anchor of Scripture, you're going to drift into sin. 
Well, that's what Christ meant when he talked about staying on the narrow path. Exactly. We don't drift right. We don't drift closer to the scriptures. We drift away from scripture. If you don't stay tied tightly to it, you will drift away. That is what drift means. And the idea for anybody, like an Al Mohler or any pastor, to say, well, there's no drift when you are using godless ideologies within your denomination is just simply ludicrous. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be cruel, but you are blind. You are being blind because you will not acknowledge and admit that the years of pragmatism have damaged your denomination. You are so terrified of something like Calvinism or God's sovereignty or any you know some sort of reformed thinking entering into your denomination, you won't allow yourself to see the truth. Pragmatism is killing your denomination. And by the way, yeah, you can say, well, Chris, you have no right to talk. You're not SBC. Guess what? My partner here is. Rich here is SBC. So yeah, we have a voice. And guess what? It's not wrong to look at what's going on within another denomination saying, brother, you got a problem because you're moving the wrong way. That's what we do as Christians. We care about our brothers and sisters. And if you are so blind to what's going on because you are terrified some, you know, some denominational uh, divide is there and you can't possibly partner with somebody who's reformed, and so you'll let your, your entire denomination drift and pretend it's not happening, you're running your ship ashore and it's going to shred on the rocks. That's what's going to happen. Well, brother, actually, the fact that a man has been elected SBC president that partners with heretical churches in Bible studies, that's not a drift. That's a full-blown wandering off into the wild blue yonder chasing after pink-purple unicorns. Yeah, amen. It's not a, a drift is not happening. It has occurred. No question. But I just I, I want to open some people's eyes if they'll at least listen for a moment. For you to deny it's been going on, I believe that is a willful blindness on the basis of you are terrified of Reformed theology entering into your denomination. And that, I'm sorry, is tragic. That is just tragic that you are so terrified of that belief system that you would allow this to happen and you would not even look at the theological issues at play here, that the partnerships that this man has been part of, the, the things that he has done surreptitiously to hide the fact that he had heresy on his own website, that he is, is even willing to say, hmm, we need to play around a little bit on this complementarian issue. These are not the marks of a conservative. And I, again, I will say this again. I do not believe that Ed Linton is standing over there twisting his little villain mustache going, yeah. I believe that Ed Linton thinks what he's doing is right. I think he believes it. I think he genuinely believes this is the way the SBC should go. But that's even worse. Because you're allowing someone who has not looked at what the Word of God said on these issues, but has been inculcated by culture. 
and his associations with heretical religious uh, persons to influence what he's doing. And the reason this matters for those of us that are not SBC is this is what's going on in evangelicalism across the board. We have allowed the culture. You had people on the stage at the SBC annual convention saying, well, the world is watching. The world is watching. Why do we care if the world is watching? We are not here to please or cozy up to the world. You know, I've been doing, I was telling this Rich in pre-show. I've been, I was reading through 1 Timothy, I'm reading through 2 Timothy, now I'm in Titus, and all these qualifications of pastors and all the things that they're called to do, why? Because of what they are commanded to preach. They are called to preach to the congregations that they are to be a unique and set-apart people, that they are to leave, live holy and blameless lives, that they are to be a a, a light unto the world by the way that they live, that they are not like the world, that they have lives devoted to personal holiness and a desire to obey the commands of their Savior Jesus Christ. They are called to be something different. They are a testimony to the power of the transformation of the gospel. That's why those qualifications exist. They don't do it for sexist or misogynistic reasons. They are there because you are called to be something so different. You are called to reflect Jesus Christ. Stop and think what that means. This is not about how many bodies you get in the pews. This is not about advancing advancing oppressed groups. This isn't about trying to look like we, we care about women being uh, you know, lifted up. This is about Jesus Christ. If you are not preaching that, you are not preaching the gospel. You are preaching a man-centered theology and that's pragmatism. You have got people that... Oh, I'm sorry, Rich, go ahead. I was just going to say, the sad thing is it goes back even deeper than that, brother. It's just more proof of the biblical illiteracy that is run and rampant among the SBC pulpits and pews because they don't realize that Catholics, Methodists, all of these others, the, these apostolic churches, they teach and preach and believe in a different Jesus Christ than what's in the Bible. Yep. That's the sad reality of it. And a lot of people within the SBC, because of all of these worldly ideologies and worldly ways of thinking and everything that the church has opened the doors up and led into its church because, you know, it traded evangelism for invite someone to church. Now that now you just have basically have the world sitting inside most of these churches and bringing their thoughts and ideas in it, and it's reflected in the pulpits and what's being preached because they don't know Jesus Christ of the Bible, and they think because, well, this church mentions Jesus, this church mentions Jesus, yep. we must be all believing in the same Jesus, the same reason that you could probably ask if you could go to every SBC member in this country. 
I just about would guarantee you 40% would say that Muslims believe in the same God that we do. And it wouldn't surprise me, sadly. It really wouldn't surprise me, which is heartbreaking. Just heartbreaking. I, I want to reemphasize something I just said. I'm going to read to you chapter 2 of Titus. Paul just gave instructions to Titus about appointing elders, gave the qualifications, and that they are to rebuke false teachers. And he says to Titus, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is what he's supposed, the things that he's supposed to teach. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God, what, may not be. Be reviled. We are taught these things so that we can live this way, so that the word of God is confirmed and it's shown in our lives. Going forward, verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Self-control over and over and over again. Controlling ourselves, not giving in to our passions. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity. Integrity, holding fast to the word of God and teaching what it says, not being surreptitious and changing things. Dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. And not condemned by the world standards, condemned by God's standards. They can call you every name in the book, but you can't be condemned because you stand in the same word that God has given you. So that any opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Because they can call us every name in the book and say we didn't conform to the world's image. But guess what? We conform to God's image. You can't tear us down from God's image if we're living according to his word. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing God all good faith so that Everything they in, in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And this is the one that just I can't get past. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to what? Renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and Godly lives in this present age. Godly lives conform to the image of our God from the scriptures that he has revealed to us. Waiting for our blessed hope. Waiting for what? Salvation of the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the system of the world? No. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We are here to live in accordance with the word of God with our eyes fixed on what? The return of Christ. We're not here to save culture. We're here to serve God. Who gave himself, uh, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. All lawlessness. Does that sound like mm, God's whispering about sin? To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are what? Zealous for good works. 
God's good works. Not God's the exactly good works. God's good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Pastors, if you're going to elect someone, you elect someone who does this. Not someone who compromises with the world. Who compromises with false religious systems. Who sneaks and changes things on his website so it looks more biblical. Who wants to tweak the word of God, the, the, you know, the, you know, the, the way that we do things inside the SBC. So maybe it'll appeal to people and maybe we can push this issue a little bit further and get women in this particular position. And let's do this racial reconciliation thing because that's going to make us appeal to the world. No, you are there to preach Christ and Him crucified so that the people who are called and redeemed by that Savior can live upright and godly lives as a testimony to the change that the gospel has brought to them with their eyes fixed on what? Culture? No, on, on the heavens looking for Christ's return. And guess what you do when you do that? When your eyes are fixed on Christ, and I'll tell you, this is a struggle in my own life. When my eyes are not fixed on Christ, when my eyes are fixed on a job that I may not like or a family situation that's not to my liking or this, this issue in the politics, and my eyes are on that, I am the most miserable person. But when my eyes are fixed on Christ, I look and I go, he's coming back. He's coming back to redeem me, a vile, sinful man who should be in the lowest pits of hell. And I know that because my eyes will fix on everything but him at times. And I will be dissatisfied and angry and upset. And God redeemed me. He took this vile, sinful man. And he broke him down to his knees and he said, You don't deserve mercy, but I give it to you because I love you. And I have called you before the world ever began. I called you by name and I have redeemed you. Now go and live in a way that is conformed to your Savior. So that when you testify of me through the scriptures, when you preach the gospel, people see your life and it lines up with my word. Now, how is that something less of a message than, hey, let's talk about racial reconciliation. Hey, let's talk about getting women ordination. Hey, let's partner with these false religious groups so we can achieve some sort of cultural relevance. I'm sorry if anybody listened to this thinks we're picking on Ed Litton. I don't want to pick on Ed Litton. I don't, I'm not trying to pick on Ed Litton. I pray to God that Ed Litton gets away from this kind of nonsense and gets to the word. I pray that God opens his eyes and goes, man, I am in this position now and I have this amazing responsibility to lead the SBC and I've been doing all this and my focus is all these areas. That's the wrong thing. I need to be focused on Christ and we need to draw the SBC back to that. I pray that happens. This isn't about politics. This is about the purity of the gospel that has nothing to do with any of this other stuff. And so many people, so terrified of biblical truth, would rather vote, vote for a man because they don't want Calvinism or Reformed theology. Or as they put it, right wing extremists, but um, as sad as this to say, I truly believe this, unless the SBC as a whole gets back on that narrow path, 10 years from now, all of this will be a forgotten issue, and the debate will be raising 
will be raging whether the SBC should allow a practicing homosexuals to be members, and then mm-hmm. beyond that, it will be should we allow a homosexual to be a pastor? Yeah. Every every denomination that went and started on the path of women pastors end up affirming homosexuality and are now affirming gay pastors, lesbian pastors, bishops, whatever their title. You can look at every one of these denominations that have either split or grew up believing this stuff, and that's where they're at. And unless the Lord moves on the SBC on the hearts and opens the hearts to people to understand, at some point the Lord will say, okay, if that's what you want, here it is. You can have it. That is the worst condemnation from God is allowing you to stay in your sin, allow you to keep believing your sinful thoughts and ideas. The yeah. worst condemnation from God is allowing you to remain in a state of unregenerate sin. Amen. Amen. Folks, this is important, not because we want the SBC to go the way we think it should go. That's not the issue. The issue is, are we glorifying God? I said something on Twitter the other day. I said, one conclusion I have come to in recent days, if my motivation for doing anything good in this life is something other than for the glory of God, I will become weary and tempted to cease to do good. My motivation must always be because I love God and I wish to glorify Him alone. Anything we do in the Christian church should be for the glory of God alone. It shouldn't be for anything else. If anything we choose to do is about our personal preference, about appeasing the culture, about disliking certain theology, whatever it is, if it's not about glorifying God in the highest, we're failing. Now, we're going to fail on that regularly. That happens. But we should be willing to examine ourselves, examine why we do what we do, and repent when we are wrong. And I fear there are too many professing Christians today whose eyes are anywhere but on the glory of God. That is what we are called to do. We are called to glorify God. I said this years ago, and I'll say it again, and I mean it now more than ever. If the SBC is to grow biblically, it is going to have to shrink physically. It has far too many worldly churches, heretical churches, liberalistic views, and all these other things in its doors. It is at some point, if it wants to grow biblically, it's going to have to say, okay, you're either going to have to completely agree in it here to our faith and message statement, or you're gone. But I don't think, I don't think it has the leadership with the courage and boldness enough to stand on the word of God and do that. Yeah. And I fear there's just too much concern about the world than there is about the fidelity to scripture. I think Uh, there's there's just too too much much concern. Go ahead. Too much. There's also too much concern about shrinking and and not yeah. being able to keep paying these salaries and not to be able to keep funding this and funding that and you know at some point 
over the years when the SBC started losing money and they started compromising on all these areas because they needed to, you know, bring in more people and basically pack the pews with more butts. They started compromising on all these issues. Yeah. And it gets back to what you said, pragmatism. But in this case, being pragmatic in order to keep those dollar signs going so they can keep paying people like they pay them and keep having all these different boards and everything else. You know, at one point in history, the North American Missions Board was a great organization. But based on things that I've observed and some of the churches and individuals it has sponsored and started sponsoring i think christianity or biblical christianity as a whole would be better if it shrank to about a half or three quarters of the size it is i know people are going to be repulsed by that comment but if it has to in order to succeed and and to keep those coffers full it has to compromise the word of god it's not worth for them to do amen Amen. Well, folks, that was a that was a a really big one, wasn't it? And I know it's <laughs> it's probably going to get some pushback, which is fine. I'm fine with pushback. Um, the question I I want you to ask yourselves before you go into that pushback is, what really offended me? What really bothered me? Well, it, is it well? You just don't know Ed Linton. You're right. I don't. But I can look at his public statements. I can look at his public actions. I can look at the things that he's made available to everybody to see. And I can say that it does not line up with what he is portrayed to be. So if it just bothers you that you think I don't like Ed Litton, re-listen to what we talked about. Because that's not the issue. If you say, well, you know, you're, you're just concerned about political... Uh, alignments and you're going to lose something. Listen again to what we said that had nothing to do with it. I'm going to ask you to listen to it again. If it's, uh, well, you just don't understand. You, you, you don't understand these issues. Again, I'm asking you to go back and listen to what we said. Sit down, break out a notebook, and what were the points that we brought out? What were the issues? You have a man who is being celebrated by secular media as having staved off a far-right invasion of the SBC. And they call him either a conservative or a moderate. And we've pointed to you to public issues with regard to him, public things he has said and done and the associations he maintains. And I've asked you, is that the mark of someone who's a conservative. That's what we've asked you to examine. You want to push back? Push back. I'm fine with that. Doesn't bother me. Just a guy with a podcast. That's all we're here for is to talk. But if you're going to do it, if you're going to push back, then think about what's at stake. This isn't about maintaining a denominational entity. This is about the glory of God. What's more important? So before you push back, examine your objections in the light of the scriptures and look at what your motivation is. 
I'm sure you may have a great love for Ed Litton. And like I said, from what I understand, he is a really nice guy. So I don't think he is an evil leftist trying to run the, the, the ship of the SBC into the rocky shores. I, I don't think about that about him at all. But I think he's a compromised man. And I think his compromise is in what has happened within the SBC for decades. And that is pragmatism. And pragmatism unleashes you from the word of God. And it says anything goes as long as we achieve the goal we've set out for. And that is, de that is deadly in the church. And I think we're seeing the result of that. And it has broader impact in, in, in evangelical at large. Because that's what's happening in so many professing churches. You don't have to have an evil heretic inside a church leading in the worst extreme direction. You just have to have someone who disconnects what he does from what the Word of God commands him to do. And then he just has to find a way to justify it. And I believe that's what's been going on for a long time. So I pray that you guys, if you before you fire up your emails or your comments on Facebook or Twitter, re-listen to what we had to say. And then examine your objections in the light of Scripture. And if you still feel you need to push back, hey, I got no problem with that. Voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com If you're going to come in just being troll and just attacking, I got a perfectly good place to file that particular email. It's called the trash can. We don't deal with trolling. You have a legitimate question or objection and you want to talk to us respectfully, hey, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Rich, any last thoughts before we let them go? Well, I could add a few more things, but I'm <laughs> going to go ahead and sign off. But for the record, I have never claimed to be a Calvinist. I do hold to the five solas. If anything, I'm a Spurgeonist. And if you don't know what that means, I suggest you open up some books and do some reading. But before someone in particular, I do have somebody in mind, before you come at me claiming that I'm just a Calvinist and I'm like the rest of them, blah, 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 understand that. I do believe everything in Scripture. I believe what Scripture says. I believe Christians are to obey the Bible out of love for Christ, not as a means to earn anything. But if we love Christ, we are to obey his word. We are to want to obey his word. We should have a desire to obey Christ in everything. And if that conflicts with your opinion, your problem is not with me. It's with Christ. Amen. But as we go forth, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the gospel at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Folks, thanks for spending, a, well, this is one of our uber-sized. We're at about an hour and 43 on this one. I appreciate your patience, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen. And, well, I appreciate your little bit of patience with me as I got a bit passionate, but I hope, pray you understand what I see is a very important matter. And um, it's weighed heavy on my heart lately as I've read through those particular books of the Bible, uh, especially in convicting my own heart. So I pray that uh, you understand the heart that was intended 
in that uh, in that passionate uh, response. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we look forward to spending with you uh, spending time with you next week. God bless you. Good night. We'll see you next time.